um, continue our series on heaven, as it is in heaven. Jesus taught us to pray the will of God and the kingdom of God would come here on earth as it is in heaven. And that's been the series that we've been on. Uh, we've spent four weeks looking at heaven on earth, heaven influencing our heart, our head, our hand, and our hip. We talked about financial and eternal rewards. Last week we talked about some myths, and we're going to continue to expose myths and unravel mysteries about heaven as we continue in this series. And, uh, and then we're going to transition uh, in two weeks. We're going to transition to a new series entitled Why? And we're going to kick that off Easter Sunday morning. And I uh, want to encourage you to invite your friends, invite your family, invite your neighbors, because many people are going to come to church on Easter Sunday. And many of them, it will be the only Sunday of the year that they come. And so the odds are stacked in our favor if we will but invite our friends and invite our coworkers and invite our neighbors. Now, we're anticipating a larger crowd. We, we normally experience that on Easter. And so we're going to three Sunday morning services. In the past, we've met at DeWitt High School. We're planning to meet right here on campus. But take note of the new service times. We changed them all so we could uh, challenge everybody to remember the new times. And so we're going to meet together at 8.30, at 10 o'clock, and at 11.30. So would you say that for your neighbor's sake? 8.30, 10 o'clock, 11.30. Easter Sunday morning only. Let's put out the ask. Let's put out the invite. And let's pack North Point three services we will have a dynamic worship experience, a very simple, clear presentation of the gospel, and we will plant eternal seeds in people's lives and watch God give the increase. Well, we're going to continue on this series regarding, uh, regarding heaven. And I read an interesting headline uh, some time ago. It was about a man who had a collision with a pole that restored his sight. And I thought that was kind of odd, so I read the article... And what happened was that this man apparently had had a, an, an injury of some sort when he was younger. He had a lens that was lodged in his eye and it was affecting his eyesight. And when he ran into a pole, it apparently dislodged what he, unbeknownst to him, was lodged in his eye and his sight was restored and he had 20-20 vision. Well, it's my prayer this morning that we have a collision with a spiritual pole, the truth of God's Word, and that we come into 20-20 clear vision and clarity regarding this whole topic of heaven, which so often is mystical. It's mysterious. It's ethereal. It's spiritual. It's vague. It's fuzzy. It's, 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 it's neat and it's cool and it's paradise. But what is it really? I'm not really sure. And so we want to continue to unravel the myth and the mystery that often surrounds heaven and often that we have an unbiblical view of heaven. John Eldridge writes in his book that nearly every Christian I have spoken with has some idea that eternity is an unending church service. We've settled on an image of the never-ending sing-along in the sky. One great hymn after another, forever and ever, amen, and our heart sinks. Forever and ever, that's it? That's the good news? And then we sigh and we feel guilty that we are not more spiritual. We lose heart and we turn once more to the present to find what life we can. John Eldridge in his book, Journey of Desire. Mark Twain, Tom Sawyer, Huck Finn, 
these two rascals uh, that so many of us are, are familiar with because of this genius author that has written about them. Huck Finn was having a discussion with Miss Watson. And she was telling him about the good place. And she said, all that a body would have to do there was go around all day long with a harp and sing forever and ever. So I didn't think much of it. I asked her if she reckoned that Tom Sawyer would go there, and she said, not by a considerable sight. I was glad about that because I wanted him and me to be together. Well, obviously he didn't have a real accurate view of what heaven was going to be like. It's not an eternal worship service, although there is worship in heaven. And uh, I appreciate what Randy Alcorn writes in his book on heaven, and I've talked to a number of you that are reading that book. Uh, It's been a great encouragement to me and a great resource for this series. But Andy writes this, We do not desire to eat gravel. That's true. None of us in this room desire to eat gravel. That's true. Why is that? Well, the answer is simple, because we weren't designed to eat gravel. And so he says, God did not design us to eat gravel, trying to develop an appetite for a disembodied existence in a non-physical heaven is like trying to develop an appetite for gravel. What God made us to desire is exactly what He promised to those who follow Christ. A resurrected life in a resurrected body with a resurrected Christ on a resurrected earth. That is much more palatable to look forward to can you say amen? Well, let's read a couple of scripture passages. I, I gave you a pop quiz last week. I asked a whole bunch of questions about heaven, and I didn't give you a whole lot of answers, and so I want to I continue to answer some of those pop quiz questions because I know all of you want to get an A, and I'm going to do my best. We're going to answer 10 to 15 of them this morning. We're going to read a couple of scripture passages. We're going to reread one that we touched on last week out of Revelation chapter 21, and then we're going to read a little bit earlier in that same book of Revelation out of chapter 6. And so we've got the the verses on the big screen for you. John, the apostle, writes this. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 3. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them and they will be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. John wrote what he saw in chapter 6, and he saw an interesting sight. And we're going we're to use these verses, and we're going to uh, pull in some complementary verses to look at 15 realities regarding heaven. Revelation chapter 6, John looked, he, he saw, verse 9, when he, speaking of an angel, opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. So this is a glimpse into heaven. 
John is seeing those that were martyred for their faith. He's hearing their voices. He's hearing discourse and dialogue. And, and so I want to I take some time this morning in the few minutes that we have, and I want to I try to cover 15 different realities about heaven that we see from these verses. And the first one is this. The first reality is that we have identity in heaven. And that our identity in heaven, for example, these that were martyred, their identity in heaven was connected with their life on earth. The Bible tells us that they were there and that they had been martyred as a result of their testimony of Jesus. So they were known in heaven, things were known about them, specifically that they had done while they were on earth. So their identity in heaven was connected with their identity on earth. Direct continuity between our identity on earth and our identity in heaven. These martyrs, their personal histories extended back to their lives on earth. So identity. Secondly, we note reputation closely associated with their identity. These individuals had a reputation a reputation that preceded them, and a reputation that followed them. They were known in heaven as those that had paid the ultimate sacrifice. It was known in heaven that they were martyred for their faith. They had that reputation in heaven. And the reputation in heaven was directly associated with what they did, with what they accomplished on earth. And you and I need to understand that. That there is not this complete disconnection between heaven and life in heaven and life on earth as we know it. They're directly connected. There's continuity. One doesn't trump the other. Our life on earth is, is, somehow, is not somehow scoured from our memory and our, and our past. So identity, number two, reputation. Number three, they had voices. Not only collectively, but individually. The Bible says they raised their voices. And they called out in a loud voice, God, how long? So this intimates they had vocal cords. We asked the question last week, how do you communicate in heaven? Is there just sort of this transcendental communication? Is it somehow soul to soul? And you just automatically know what people are thinking in heaven? You don't even have to talk? Well, apparently, communication in heaven happens the same way it happens on earth. People speak. They communicate. They talk. And so they had voice. They had, they had vo uh, vocal cords. They called out audibly. And they had vocal capacity. This suggests that they had physical form. We know that Paul said, we, we read this a couple weeks ago in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, that when this tent, this body that we now live in, is folded up, when it's taken down, we're going to have wonderful new bodies made by God Himself. We will have glorified physical bodies in heaven. The fourth thing that we glean from this passage, and I love this, especially since it's March Madness, and I'm, I'm a huge fan I love following the tournament. Uh, it's my, my favorite time of the year. It's my favorite sport to track because 
College basketball isn't, well, there's a lot of money in it, but the players are playing out of pure passion and love for the game. They're not motivated by dollars and money. They're just motivated by an intense desire to be the best and win. And I just, I love watching games like yesterday, and I didn't get to watch the end of the Wisconsin game, but they ended in overtime and won by one point. How intense and passionate is that? And people are just, you know, fans are intense. And I, I, I just, I love that. You know what? Something that excites me about heaven is heaven is a place that's full of passion. Heaven's a place that's full of intensity. This notion that people are floating around on clouds whispering and that it's like a monastery and that there's Gregorian chants off somewhere in the distance is not biblical. Yuck! It's a place of passion and intensity. Why, why do I know that? Because these scriptures tell us they raised their voices. They were loud. They were expressive. There was intensity in their question. God, how long is this going to go on? How long before justice is done? They were passionate. And you read the book of Revelation and you see passion. You see passionate worship. You see in, in Revelation 19, it talks about this multitude that raise their voices and they're shouting praises to God and they're exalting God. And the Bible says it was like the sound of many waters. It says it was like the sound of much thunder. Heaven is a place full of passion and intensity and joy and people that express themselves. It's going to be a lot like the NCAA Tournament Championship in heaven. There's going to be a lot of similarities. I don't know if we'll paint our faces. I don't know if we'll wear stupid things on our heads. I don't know. But there's going to be some similarities. So these people, they were passionate. They were intense. And this indicates rational communication and being capable of strong emotion and feeling. And frankly, I'm glad. <clears throat> Number five, they were aware. These martyrs were aware. They were intensely aware of their location. They knew where they were. They knew God was there. They also knew what, they had some sense of what go, was going on on the earth. And they had a sense of what hadn't yet happened on earth. How did they know that these that had martyred them, that had unjustly taken their lives because of their faith and their testimony in Jesus Christ. They knew that those that had persecuted them, those that had martyred them, had not yet been judged. They knew that. So they had, they had an understanding, they had a knowledge, they were aware in heaven of things that were happening on the earth. Or things that hadn't happened yet on earth. So they were aware. They were conscious. They knew that those who had murdered them had not yet been judged, as I said. When Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, the Bible tells us that Elijah and Moses appeared and they were talking to Jesus. And you remember that story? Peter freaked out. He wanted to build some shelters. He wasn't really sure what to say. You remember that account in the New Testament. Well, the Bible tells us that they were communicating to Jesus things that were about to happen. So apparently heaven was aware of earth's timetable. 
And that these men came and they were conversing with Jesus about things that were going on on earth, about things that were about ready to unfold. And so apparently they had explicit knowledge that they were communicating to Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible tells us that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses and that each of us as believers are to run our race with patience and with intensity and with determination. And it says that there's, there's a whole host of people in heaven that are watching. Can they see everything? I don't know. But are they aware? Yes. Do they know of the successes and the failures? Apparently so. So there is a, a direct connection between heaven and earth in terms of awareness. And this next point ties in with this. There's also memory in heaven. And many of us have had these kind of questions. Will we remember our life on earth when we're in heaven? Will we only remember the good things? What about the horrible things? What about the tragedies? What about the heartaches? What about the abuses and the injustices and the, and the things? That, are we going to remember all those things? And, and we, we, we think of heaven as a place where all of that will, will, will somehow be forgotten because we read verses about every tear being wiped away and about there being no more sorrow or pain. But what does the Bible teach regarding memory and heaven? Well, the Bible gives us some indication through these martyrs that they had memory. Their memory of their lives on earth was clear and distinct. They remembered that they were murdered. That's a pretty, that's a pretty big part of their lives. They had a direct memory of that. Well, if they remembered that detail, which is pretty negative, that's, would you agree that's kind of a downer, being martyred? They remembered that downer in heaven. Is it safe to assume that we would remember other facts about our life? I think it does. In fact, we, again, going back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where we spent several weeks, chapter 4 and chapter 5, we read how that, Paul said our ambition is to please God because we're all going to stand before God and we're going to give an account for our life. And we're going to be rewarded for everything that was done in the body, whether good or bad. Right? The Scriptures teach that. And we talked about there's a payday coming. And that's not something that we should look negatively upon or be afraid of as a true Christ follower. Something we should look forward to. But think for just a moment. If, if every aspect of my life as a Christ follower is going to be evaluated, if every good thing and every bad thing that I've done in my life is going to be evaluated, doesn't it make sense there would be memory of all that I've done in this life? So there's memory in heaven. And I love what Randy Alcorn says in his book. He says, there is memory in heaven, but we will have a different perspective in heaven. So everything... Again, the Bible says we see through a glass darkly. We, we don't know everything right now, but there's coming a day when we will know as we are known. And, and things are going to make a lot more sense when we step across the threshold of death. But God's Word is true, and, and it's clear on many of these details regarding not only earth, but heaven. Science has proven that we have photographic memory, that our brains are recording all that our senses are taking in, even from before birth. 
that our brain is transcribing all the smells, all the sights, all the sounds, all the experiences. We don't have perfect recall, but it's all being recorded. Doesn't it make sense that in heaven, since we'll have glorified bodies, since we'll have heavenly bodies, since we'll have bodies that are, that are, that are much more godlike than they are in this fallen state, doesn't it make sense that if we have memory here, that our memory will be intensified and improved and have greater clarity in heaven? It, that, that makes sense. In fact, all of our senses will be enhanced in heaven. Thank God for that, because if it wasn't, we wouldn't be able to take it all in. It probably would kill us. It would overwhelm us. And so, there's, there's passion, there's awareness, there's memory. Memory is a basic element of our personality. If we are going to be ourselves in heaven, surely we will have memory. And the Bible makes it clear that we will. Number seven, there's audience. This, this is cool. There's audience with God in heaven. These martyrs were speaking directly to God. They had audience with God. They were communicating directly with God. I think that's pretty cool. Last week we saw kind of a fun video man on the street interview, what will heaven be like? And we heard all kinds of crazy things like heaven's going to be like Tempur-Pedic beds, only the, you know, the new ones. And there was a young man that said, heaven's going to be amazing because we're just going to be kicking it with God and we're, we're going to say like, hey God, what up? And, 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 and we're going to get to eat Cheerios with God. Now, I'm not sure if Cheerios are in heaven. I, I hope the food is better in heaven than that, okay? I, I don't know. But you know, he, he had it partially right. He said we would be kicking it with God. That we would be able to say, hey God, what up? Now, I, I don't think we're going to talk quite that way, but the principle is there. They were talking directly to God. Communicating directly. And so they had audience. This success, this suggests, rather, direct access. I love this, number eight, they'll be learning in heaven. I ask the question, will we still be learning or will we know everything? Well, these martyrs are in heaven, but they're asking questions. And they're asking questions because they don't know everything. So this suggests that we'll be learning in heaven. They were asking questions. They had a thirst for knowledge. They had a desire to learn. They were saying, God, how long, this, this, this justice, this judgment hasn't happened yet, how long is it going to be? So apparently, we won't just be all-knowing when we're in heaven. We'll still have to ask questions. We'll be in a process of learning, I believe, that will continue throughout eternity, which is going to make eternity not boring, but incredibly exciting. And that God is so sophisticated and complex and amazing and be infinitely beyond our wildest imagination, He's going to take eternity to figure out. So we're going to be learning in heaven. Number nine, th th we ask, will there still be prayer in heaven? Well, this passage seems to indicate that there is still prayer when you get to heaven. Because these martyrs were asking questions and they were, they were, they were asking God, they were in heaven, they were asking God to act and to do something on earth that hadn't been done yet. That's prayer, isn't it? Isn't that, isn't that intercession? Isn't that... Prayer is a conversation, a dialogue with God, and they're asking for something. Now they're in heaven asking God to do something specific on the earth that hasn't happened yet. 
Now, let me be clear, because I was taught this as a, as a young man. I was taught that I should pray to people that are in heaven because they're already there and they'll have better access to God. Now, the Bible teaches that. Does, the Bible does not teach that. The Bible nowhere teaches that. That is unscriptural. There's one mediator between God and man, and it is the man, Jesus Christ. And he's the one we go to. So please make no mistake. These martyrs were not praying to other saints. They were talking to God directly, and they were posing questions and placing requests directly of God the same way we do it here on earth. We go directly to the Father through the name of Jesus Christ. Okay? So I want to make that perfectly clear. But there apparently will still be prayer once we're in heaven. That's kind of cool. All right, uh, a couple more, and then uh, might get uh, might get you out of here a little early. Famous last words of the preacher, right? Okay, number ten. Doing good on time, and somebody's sitting there thinking, "Yeah, just just keep doing good on time, will you?" Just number number ten, individuality. There, we we are not absorbed into at death into some kind of greater, higher consciousness, and we all merge together with the energy of the universe. It's very ethereal. It's, frankly, it's weird. No, there's individuality in heaven. It says that these martyrs, each individually, were given a robe. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that those that overcome, those that win, they'll be given a new name. They'll be given all kinds of personal, specific rewards. Jesus said, Hey, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Don't sweat it. Don't be afraid. Have peace. Because if I go away, I'm going to come back. And I'm going to take you to where I am. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. It's not a big commune. It's a place. It's a room. It's a house. Is there individual ownership in heaven? Apparently there is. And so, there's individuality in heaven. Number 11, physical bodies. We've already alluded to this and already touched on it, but just to underscore it further, we will have bodies that are physical, but they won't have the limitations of this physical body. The Bible says this body is mortal. It's going to die. From the day we're born, we start dying. But we're going to have a new body. It apparently is going to be like the physical body of Jesus. Remember, after His resurrection, He said to Doubting Thomas, He appeared in the upper room, He said, Stick your, stick your fingers in the holes. Touch and see. Put your, stick your finger in my side. He said, I'm not, a, I'm not an angel. I'm not a ghost. I'm not a spirit. Because they don't have bod, physical bodies like I do that have flesh and bone. So it, it apparently was a physical body, yet Jesus could walk right through walls and doors because they had the doors locked. They were in this upper room flipping out, and He appeared among them. And so there's, there's abilities and capacities in our new bodies that we, won't, that we don't have and that we don't enjoy right now. But we will have physical bodies. These martyrs wore robes. Spirits don't need robes. Jesus was resurrected, had a physical body. We will not be angels. Angels are angels and humans are human. <clears throat> there'll, be, uh, there'll be beauty. We'll be enhanced. We'll have... Now, I, 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 I can't show you Scripture and verse on this emphatically, but I know that we will be recognized in heaven based on what we look like on earth. How do I know that? Because Elijah and Moses appeared and Peter knew who they were. He recognized them. 
So if you're tall, I think in heaven you'll re- be relatively tall. You people that are short, don't, sh- don't, don't kill the messenger, okay? If you're short, I think you're going to... I think. I, I, it's not dogmatic. I'm not positive. But all of us are going to look better. That, that, you know, think on the bright side. We're all going to look better. And, and if you're really, really old in earth years when you, when you pass, I think your new body, I don't think I know, because it's going to be a body designed by God. I think you're going to ta- take some, a little bit of gray out, a few wrinkles. I think you're going to look better. So it's going to be good. Beauty. People will be beautiful. Different heights and weights. Oh, this is, this is awesome. Our five senses will be not diminished, but enhanced. And Randy Alcorn says this, Heaven's delights will stretch our glorified senses to their limits. Doesn't that sound awesome? I want to read that again. Heaven's delights will stretch our glorified senses to their limits. Wow, that sounds good. Not only physical bodies, number 12, there'll be time. At least there's an awareness of time. Why do I say that? Because they said, they asked the question that was time sensitive. How long, O Lord, before? So they were aware of time. Is there time? I've always been taught there's no time in heaven. There's no time in eternity. Well, maybe there isn't time in eternity, but there is a sense and an awareness of time, at least in heaven, in the intermediate heaven. Maybe there will be no time after the heavens and the earth are renovated and and, and New Jerusalem comes down and God sets up His his earthly kingdom right here on the planet. Maybe there will be no time. I don't know. I know that there will be no sunset. The Bible says that the sun, there will be no need for the sun because God, will His glory will light the whole earth. It's going to be pretty amazing. No more light bulbs that are going to burn out. It's going to be good. But there will be time. Number 13, this is important. There's a strong family or familial connection between heaven and earth. And that only makes sense. Notice what the, the Scripture said. It said that there's still some time before your brothers and your sisters who will also be martyred. There's, there's some time before your brothers and your sisters are, are going to suffer the same fate. And so the Bible, Bible talks in familiar terms. It talks about brother and sister. And we are the family of God. God is our Father. Jesus Christ, our elder brother. There's a strong sense of family in heaven. And I, I was thinking about this. And really, this is a very scriptural way for us to think about this. I, I'm, I'm one of eight kids. I have three older sisters. I have four other brothers. And I have two brothers that live in Florida. I have a sister that lives in Colorado. I've got another sister, Chris, that lives in Grand Marais, the very upper northern tip of Michigan on Lake Superior. I've got another sister that lives in Chelsea. And some of my family members I don't see for quite some time. But I have no sense that they're gone just that they're not here right now. And that really is a scriptural, that's a biblical way to look at death and those of our loved ones that were Christ followers that have gone on to their eternal reward in heaven. There's, there's still a family connection. We're family. We're in different locations, but we're still family. 
And I understand that, you know, my dad, I grieved when my dad died. I, I, I understand that. My dad is in heaven. Thank God for that because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And I look forward to the reunion similar to I look forward to when our family gets together and we, we get to share time together. That, that's, that's wonderful and it's special. And so in heaven there's a strong sense of family. Number 14, we asked a question last week, is, is heaven really a place of idleness or is it a place characterized more by busyness? And as you read the scripture, it's very clear heaven is a very busy place. The Bible describes heaven as a country. It describes heaven as a city. And I want you to think for just a few minutes. What kind of things go on in a city? Let me just open the floor. What, what, what kind of stuff, what kind of activity goes on in a city? Uh, sports, travel, transportation, food, work. Thank you. There's going to be work in heaven. Snow plowing. I don't know about that one. That is a, I think that's a very unbiblical thought. That's just, that's just, that's just my gut, that's my knee-jerk reaction to that one. I, I, don't, I don't think so. But we, we could go, are there arts? There's the arts. There's music. There's activity. There's commerce. The Bible, say, the Bible refers to Jesus Christ and His government that will have no end. There's government in heaven. There's positions of authority. There's structure. Here's a question. Is there maintenance in heaven? I don't think so. I hope not. I don't think things break down there. The things aren't subject to curse and, the de and death. So there's no... But there's all kinds of activity. There's people moving. There's community. The, 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 the city that we read about in, in Revelation 21 is 1,400 miles wide, 1,400 miles deep, and 1,400 miles high. Now that blows our architectural minds, and we say there's no way that that's humanly possible. You're absolutely right. There's no way it's humanly possible. That's because God is the architect and the builder, and He's figured it out. And trust me, He's smart enough. It's a big place. It's a lot of people. There's a lot going on. It's busy. So this notion we're going to hang around and float on, on, on clouds and be bored out of our minds. There's nothing biblical or scriptural about that. Alright, let's, let's hurry up and try to wrap this up. Number 15. Knowledge of evil on earth. Does it diminish the joy that we will experience in heaven? The knowledge of evil on earth and the knowledge of hell and eternal punishment. Many have taught, we will, there's no way we could have a consciousness of that because if we, if we had consciousness of that, there's no way we could enjoy the presence of God. I suggest something different because we, we have these glimpses into heaven in the book of Revelation and other passages of Scripture. And there seems to be intense joy. There seems to be intense pleasure. There is an awareness of, of judgment and justice that's coming. So there's a perspective that the people have in heaven that we don't seem to have here on earth. But there is joy. There's rejoicing. There's celebrating. There's dancing. There's worship. There's all, the idea that somehow we'll be weeping eternally, it just, it's not there in the book. 
And so I do not believe that our, our joy will be diminished. Let me wrap up with this illustration.